Abby. And I'm Georgie. Coming to you with chats about all aspects of design, creativity and its influence on life. Can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. This This is Creative Clinks. And welcome to episode five. We're here in Clink country in Pop Holborn in the Hunter Valley. And we are, have the pleasure of interviewing Lisa McGuigan and her wines. And we're based right in her cellar, that's for sure. There's all three of us here. So Barbie, myself, we've been able to all become in person and as well as Lisa. So we're getting the chance to really deep dive into her little history and what, what it takes to really be a winemaker and a bit of a key designer there as well. Hi, ladies. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Great to see you in my storeroom. <laughs> I've never had girls out here. It's definitely a more unique place to do a recording, that's for sure. Luckily, we're not filming because this would not be my uh, most beautiful area. (laughs) However, it's good to be out the back where we get down and dirty and all the packaging's out here. It's still on brand. Yes. It's very much still on brand. This this table, I... Someone was cutting some trees down and I (laughs) went past and I managed to get this and so we painted it and put the legs on because if we're full in the vamp tasting rooms, I take a group, I take groups in here. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just started doing it because we were actually, we had a day where there were lots of people who hadn't booked here and I don't like to say no. So I thought through the fact that I had to get people to come back at a different time because there's three hours where everybody wants to come in. And then later in the day is an option. However, if you haven't planned that, you may not, may not suit you. So the next day I had I made a bar, not exactly like this, but people went nuts. Oh, I can't awesome. believe that because I did it out here and they couldn't complain to me, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it worked really well. This is an authentic experience being in here. <laughs> That's all for show, but this is authentic. This is back of house. This is girls. back of house. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. But for those, I guess, who don't know you, how have you found yourself to come into the winemaking industry? My background was growing up in a wine family and my dad, my mother and father started a company called Windham Estate and that was in the 70s they started that. So my sister and I were... 5Ks from dance lessons and basketball and all of those kind of things. And we worked in the business for pocket money. We actually, my sister, her name was Vanessa, we started a caravan where we sold T-shirts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I didn't fund it because I was nine. However, (laughs) I drew the the T-shirts and some rep came in wanting to sell them to the organisation and I just happened to be on the reception or something like that. It was a coincidence. And that went for many years and my school friends who lived sort of, we were on the Hunter River and it was down over on the other side of Braxton and across the Hunter River were a lot of um, sheep farms and other farmers and their children were in my class at school and I would have them on the roster for the T-shirt van <laughs> because it was, like, very popular because I did fittings. You did fitting. <laughs> okay, what were on these T-shirts? This is embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be great. I have stepped up, though. You might want to I love talk about that later. Yes. But it's taken years of getting it wrong. But the first one I did was a circle and it had some kind of abstract, I can't remember what that was exactly, some on-brand colours which were maroon or something. That's how I came to like black because maroon just makes you not want any colour. <laughs> and the T-shirt had a circle, it must have been a barrel or something, and it said, get with the grape 
Oh, that's Visit clever. Windham Estate. Oh, that's did you nice. Did you this yourself? My sister and I did. At night? Oh, I think by the time I got really into ordering the actual um, design of the T-shirt, not just what my mother had ordered for the export market and okay. whatever, then I saw how it was all done and I thought they were quite boring. I don't even remember. what, But a company that's publicly listed outside of the Hunter Valley where everybody knows each other and they kind of it's a bit clicky it was back then mm-hmm. and especially when the other part of um, the difference between the the Colburn winemakers and the other side of Braxton company was that those wines in the inner sanctum were m- much more premium and Brian my dad he had a really great idea that made the company go nuts and do I have to tell you what it was? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a brand, it was a wine called TR2, and it was like it wasn't a semillon for fifteen dollars. It was eight ninety nine. It was served in to, you wouldn't remember when the bars in her pubs they had the main bar, and there was also a, a second bar which was the ladies' bar. Okay. So the ladies weren't allowed to go wow. in the other bar. Yeah, right. I don't know how we didn't just go in, but yeah. <laughs> but there was a ladies' bar. So if you went with your husband. You had to sit in the other room. What a joke. Yeah. And depending on the hotel's backing result in how comfortable the ladies' bar was and if there's any ladies that have experienced this and they're listening, do you think they I can um, get them to call me because I wasn't allowed in bars at that point, but the, the licensing was something like that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So anyway, my dad had the idea of, because he didn't like, he didn't go to pubs very often because of that, because he couldn't take the staff for an event because the guys would be in one bar and the, yeah. that was not a way to do it when you had a wine bar anyway. So he saw how that was happening and he thought maybe it'd be good to get the beverage served in the ladies' bar, something that was a step up from casks. Mm. Obviously just pretty much goon bags. <laughs> oh, no. It was in the, in the beginning. This yeah. is this probably, I, mean, wow. I haven't thought about this for a long time. However, you've got to look at history before you can contribute to the future mm. is what I've always thought when, when I think back mm. at seeing things like this. When you're nine, usually, alcohol isn't allowed to be near you. Mm. That wasn't a rule then. Yeah. Not that I was drinking. Mm. However, I had a very clear understanding of how it felt out in the market when people were coming to our bar and tasting and having a great time. Chicks were always happy yeah, because they didn't really get the opportunity to be in the in a group with all their friends together. I mean, that would never happen now. No, no. No way. No. Anyway, so licensing's changed. Licensing changed, but so has the hunter. So the inner sanctum of the hunter there would have been probably uh, 20 wine brands around the 70s, but they were, had big vineyards, so Tyrrells, yeah. Drayton's. There were smaller ones. However, those guys really made the area, put, them up, put us on the map. So now there are 180 wine producers or uh, cellar doors around the Hunter. There's two new areas, so Lovedale. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a paddock right. back then. But there was hardly even a tarred road. Anyway, <laughs> so history, you have to understand it before you can do what 
I'm intending to do, which is be a step ahead of what my friends, for example, they're the best resource for me to have a look at to understand what the norm is. And then if they, when I tell them about what I'm thinking of, if they don't react well, well, I just go on to the next thing. Yeah. I don't always have the, the correct version. However, you've got to just keep working through it. And that's how I've, I mean, I haven't done something that's been like rocket science, but I have been able to capture part of the market that they're very impressed by the style and the first impression of what they're about to buy to go to dinner or how they make a decision because men used to always imply that if it's dressed up with a label like Wyndham Estate because it was half the price out on the shelves that it was a cheap introduction and that all dressed up with nowhere to go kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what, you know, the industry can't just love someone who's come along and made their average price of the area's wine half. I mean, that's not, if it didn't go nuts and bring more people and introducing a diverse amount of people from different areas because people wouldn't necessarily take the drive from Sydney to the hunter because of the, the you know, the everyone was attracted to X. Yeah. It's now got an appeal for all types of people and that's a fantastic place for me to have come along. And mm. so you asked me before, I told you nine hours of what I think about pubs, <laughs> <laughs> that my background was growing up. I got to nine. Then after I did my HSC, I, I, I enrolled in, applied to get into visual arts in the Newcastle Arts School and maybe next time when we get together I can tell you about language Mm -hmm. and anyway one thing that happened was my dad wanted me to be a winemaker but he'd never talked to me about it and (laughs) the path was kind of forged there for you it's going to happen but he assumed that I'd go to the wine college in Adelaide yeah oh I wanted to do the art course, but because we, he challenged me on it, I got accepted, but then things changed and I think things happen for a reason. Anyway, an incident between my father and I meant that I was sent to um, a finishing school for ladies because if I wanted to do visual arts, then I'd just be some bum on the street. Oh, goodness. Yeah, and then I said something different to oh, goodness. That's why I got sent. <laughs> and that was the best Thing that could have happened to me because not having done all the things that you tend to do as a child, I couldn't dance very well. I couldn't, I could play tennis because it was, you know, you can make a bit of a tennis court <laughs> in the paddock. But we didn't, my sister and I didn't go to music lessons or yeah. those things. And so not that that was the hard life. We were great in the caravan. I, I learned to do a budget. I learned to do a marketing plan, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so, but I wanted to get the hell out of here. Mm. I didn't really feel like what I now call, uh, refer to as being in a tribe. Yeah. So just because you don't like doing X doesn't mean that someone who does Y is wrong or yes. is, why would you like doing, I don't know, something, mm. what we think of knitting. Yes. That's fine, but it doesn't mean that I have to like it to like that person. Yeah. And this was a big, a big issue for me because the caravan was like not really what I should have been confident that in that area. Yeah. And I was great at a roster and my friends that worked there, we all had a, a really great time, but I didn't know anything about going out into the world as I did when I got sent on a plane to a school in Switzerland that only spoke French. Oh, wow. Mm. You would have felt 
quite isolated, I assume. Um, I turned 18 the day I arrived. How did you cope with that, arriving in Switzerland? An 18-year-old and just knowing that this is what your father wanted you to do and this is why you're here based on whatever you It was punishment. Do. Yeah. So you arrived with an attitude of, were you, did you feel, feel a little bit defiant? Like, I felt like, thank God I'm, I'm, not, at, uh, I'm not at Adelaide. Uh, really? <laughs> doing, a wine, doing wine studies because not only did I do the caravan, but in school holidays I worked in the laboratory with winemakers. I learnt on the job, yeah. right? Technically I'm not a winemaker. However, being that far out of away from a town and not very many neighbours, I was inclined to make the most of that uh, school holidays time because I really enjoyed doing those kind of things. And the scientific side, well, that wasn't natural for me. However, I did have to learn that because I, I wanted to understand every bit about making the wine. So I've grown up with it and I have my own opinion, which isn't the same necessarily as my dad's first brand. Yeah. But people didn't always drink wine at dinner back then. Mm-hmm. So people had to be taken from drinking a sherry in the back bar to understanding wine because wine then back then was men would drink a Shiraz, a May, yeah, which is great mm. because those wines were top sellers. But the amount of females that consumed wine, the results of any kind of surveys were really bizarre because it wasn't a natural thing. Right. But we haven't felt that. I wouldn't have understood that if I wasn't in a winery understanding why the wine was not something I like to drink. Yeah, mm. very true. In the laboratory on the school holidays. <laughs> Anyway, so I uh, ha- that I hadn't been away from home more than two nights in a row in my whole life. Wow. Yeah, right. I didn't think about that until I'd been away for three nights because, and I couldn't speak to anyone. However, my good friend from Newcastle, whose father was a really renowned wholesaler of wine and spirits, had we were in the same year, but she was in Newcastle and I was in Lockenbach. My dad had been speaking to him, and she'd done something as well that wasn't not the same as what I'd done, and he thought she should go away and not get into the career choice she'd made, which is nursing, mm-hmm. to maybe think about it and uh, have the opportunity and da, da, da. Anyway, so we, we we went together. So that's how it ended up being something my dad knew about because he must have been selling into the wholesale business mm-hmm. and said blah, 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 you know how fathers do. <laughs> <coughs> I didn't know Liz very well, but it was Doyle's Wholesalers oh, yeah. from Newey and they did most of the wine out of the Hunter too. Everywhere else in Australia, they were the main. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, wow. yeah. So, Peter Doyle uh, wholesaling. So, Liz and I went and we're both in the same situation. We're put in different rooms and we had, I was in a room for four and one girl spoke German, one spoke English, not, uh, it was a second language. The others didn't have a second language and the other one was from Rio. Oh, wow. Brazil. That's anyway. A- that's a bit different, like having quite a bit of a mixed bag as well, like rather than just kind of having a more common, I guess, originality of some people there. You've definitely got a lot of dynamic different people that probably are feeling just as like that isolation of not being able to communicate effectively with everyone. Yeah, that was – I won't go into that because we'll be here for five hours. <laughs> However, it was amazing. It was wow. such the best thing. And the school that I was sent to also, apart from running the course – of etiquette and that was mostly attractive to fathers who they weren't very confident that their daughters would be end up being married or something like that but etiquette being such a 
some countries don't even have that as their – they don't even know what it is. Yeah. And fathers who have a lot of money have the tendency to send – and also in those countries it can be very dangerous. I only found all this out. I wouldn't have believed it. I thought I was in a movie. <laughs> and I learned so much. But the, the school that I was at not only did it um, train in etiquette but it had other courses and one of them was hotel management. Yeah, wow. Okay. So once I could speak French and I really needed to speak French before they'd let me change courses yeah. because that wasn't the normal thing that you could do and if you didn't speak French, well, you wouldn't understand the course. So that was my focus and I didn't study any languages at school because I just didn't know. I just thought I'd be – I just didn't think I'd be speaking languages to survive coming from the country, right? What's the languages like? here were – the different, what would different you call accents. it? The, the different accent, uh, Degrees of- the pronunciation yes. of the English language. Mm-hmm. And so I thought maybe I was, there was a different language, but I didn't like it. So the French was so beautiful. Oh, yeah. And I, I really got stuck into it. And then I managed to sweet talk one of the principals of the principal of that section because I was so in love with service yeah wow because not only did we have a winery but my mother did the first first restaurant that would do groups more than well there weren't that many restaurants attached to wineries back then I mean now you think of it and it's there's so many you don't think they weren't but she set up this business where bus groups would come in and they'd be able to get the whole group that wherever they were from such as uh they would have been from a retirement village or you know how they used to do a bus trip to here, a bus yeah. trip to there. So it had to be attractive to get all of those okay. folk in. So she, she did a menu where it was it was a steak and coleslaw yep. and a bun and they'd do 50 buses and that's a lot. Wow. And there was also an old homestead which George Wyndham, who was the settler there, who came from the ship that he arrived on down the river and arrived at that spot and put the most beautiful, stunning house up on the hill from the river out of big sandstone blocks. Oh, wow. It's still there. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. So that's why it was called Wyndham Estate. And the buses would take a tour around there. And so that was just second nature to, to me. And the service part, my sister and I would help on weekends when we were a bit older because the clearing of the tables was important and it wasn't so hard to get staff back then. However, it just got, it was busy. So we would go and clear the tables and it was a bit more action than the caravan because we'd have our friends in there. And we both loved being in the kitchen and this was the next level for me. So my desire to do the art kind of studies was also driven by the presentation of food, but food wasn't as amazing the restaurants were either really, really top market restaurants in Sydney. I can't even think of any. Yeah. But the Regent and Foster Hotels, they were the ones that had the fine dining because mm-hmm. they would have international guests who expected fine dining as normal dining. Yeah. Anyway, I, so I got stuck into that course. I absolutely fell in love with hotel management. Like just I don't know how you can fall in love with well, Can you remember when you've fallen in love with a job that you've had or or you you look like you're in love with yeah, what you do now. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to get to learn every part, kitchen, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So 
I didn't I didn't return when I was supposed to because I had to send my sister to get me back. Okay. Oh wow. It was a, it was a six month course, but I stayed for the year. Okay. Because after about three months, the tribe was I was in that tribe, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have ever known about that or thought I could fit into that. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I had to understand how to interact with other people from across the world, the other side of the world, that weren't inclined to be at the restaurant that I was serving at when I was younger because it wasn't an international destination for that. However, I was ready to interact with that society because the wine was also a big part of that area. So, well, not Switzerland, but the French. And I learned so much about Champagne. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. So all of those things were very attractive to me and that's why I didn't want to come home because if I came home, I would have had no course. You know, they don't start in the middle of the year and I was afraid of going back to the caravan. But anyway, so when I got back, I applied for a, another course, which was the full hotel management course where you do, you become almost a chef. It's like four years. It's management. It's, you have to apply and they take a hundred people out of a thousand that apply. But I, the test was in French because the culinary terms were, were all French because that's what we modeled our food on when we became a bit more serious about putting those kind of restaurants in. So the test was so easy because I knew what Chateaubriand was and I knew every ingredient and the term for asparagus and how to, <laughs> how to make vichyssoise. And uh, that was the bit that the test would have, a lot of people would have been knocked out because having all of the culinary terms, well, you don't come across those unless the French chef is um, throwing things at you with the dishes. <laughs> anyway, so I was fortunate to be able to get in when there were so many people that it, it, it was the, it was one of the most popular career choices in Australia back then, and that would have been in about 1980, no, 87-ish. Anyway, wow. so I studied that, and then for the next 10 years after I'd done the finished the course, I worked in five-star hotels. So I got my car, drove to Sydney, and I've never come back until now, and now you found me. Wow. Because <laughs> you just recently come kind of back, haven't you, to living back up? You live back up there. Well, well, yes. Yeah. Well, when I did Tempest 2, the brand was really driven through the Sydney and the international market, yeah. and I didn't have um, to have a cellar door to make the brand be able to launch. You, I did it without the face being created for the local market and it went nuts in Sydney and the the reason why that worked was I think mostly because working in hotels for 10 years in middle management was not only an amazing experience and and a fantastic part of my life but the people that I came to know well most of those people were making decisions in restaurants or they were connected to the sommelier in their hotel. So I'd go into the regent and there'd be someone that I'd worked with a year ago because they'd moved on as well. So so I worked at the Sydney Renaissance Hotel and it had only been open about six months, but it was a fantastic opportunity and a new hotel that was just uh, getting out of their soft opening. Well, that was a great opportunity. And so that 10 years went very quickly. And the Tempest 2 brand didn't have to go through the normal challenge of the brand has to be around and established for a certain amount of time and the consumers that come in have to know it, blah, blah, blah. It was just getting into places. So that 
gave me a really good first year and that got my brand into the next level. So I ran out of money when I started my first brand because I, you know, working in in hotels or in hospitality, you don't do it for the money really. You have to do it because you love it. And if you just do things for money at that age, well, there's no pressure on you to own your house and stuff like that. So it didn't matter that I spent everything I'd saved on a brand. And putting a wine brand together sounds like a great thing to do. However, <laughs> one of any accountants that's or financial people that may come across our conversation will be nodding their head as well about the things that you have to think about in any business when you're putting your brand together. However, it's very expensive because with wine, you can't release uh, the vintage room, say, this year and sell out, which is a good thing, and then do more. Mm. You have to do the whole vintage of select products. So I had five products, and if you did a 1,000 cases of five products, you have to buy all the bottles and the labels and the boxes before you even bottle it. It's just one of those things that because it is, it's really important that every part of that product has the same kind of, the same level of quality mm. because you might as well just do it any way you like yeah. because you won't be noticed if you use, say, different bottles. And I'm a bit OCD, so mm-hmm. the bottles all had to be the same and I couldn't just throw it in a bottle that was left over from someone else's. Anyway, that was really at the time probably to my detriment. However, I was able to get some – it was going quite well and I'd sold out after six months. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yes, and it was the fact that I'd been able to get into these premium accounts where other brands and my parents' brand weren't really directed at that, but that market was really going for this particular style of label that was different because every label that I looked at from the hunter at that time and back there's a, a restaurant that has a wall of every Hunter Valley label that had ever been released. Oh, wow. That built that wall up and the parents of the company, well, they started it, then the son and the daughter ran it. So they'd had all these bottles saved from, you know, back in that era, history was always collected as an item because we had, didn't have a computer and a photo to have it so accessible yeah. and things like that were kept. We don't keep things like that now because you can just get a snapshot. Mm. And so unless your computer uh, has a hiccup, like, <laughs> like we've all had before. Yes, we have had. <laughs> and so when I looked at this, and I can give you the photo of this wall. Wow. Because it's the first time I, 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 I always felt and knew that there was something very ordinary to me about all of the hunter producers and most of them were most of the labeling labels and the packaging were selected by the winemaker usually the marketing or sales team would be based in sydney and they didn't have a sales manager or a marketing director back in those days right you had to do everything however the winemaker because they were at the end where the bottles had to be ordered. The packaging wasn't even, the wine had to be amazing. And so the, just the normal process of a company that has so many variables, well, the winemaker would have the capacity to know what bottle would be the perfect bottle, know the corks, blah, blah, blah. That's just how it was done because there weren't a lot of people fluffing around with with how products were perceived in terms of 
no one ever really looked at the bottle to know that that was a good product mm. because some global or other companies on, in Europe were sometimes guilty of putting fabulous labels on fabulous bottles and and deteriorated or less impressive quality yeah. of, look, I don't want to say which country, yeah. but they would sell uh, so much mm. and the consumers in Europe they expected to be able to have uh, entry-level wine. So in Australia, entry-level was not entry-level. It yeah. was wow. it was expensive. And we started at the top end because we started much so many centuries later than Europe and it was a different kind of thing. Anyway, we're more strategic were in, at the Hunter Valley with our grape varieties. We only grew varietals that were be- the best performers in the climate and the soil of the Hunter Valley. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not how it is now. No, because <laughs> you don't actually get a lot of your grapes from this area, do you? No. No, yeah. That's because I think when you've you've heard how much I've been immersed in the in the style of the area and going into Sydney and being people knew that I was from the Hunter, that always asked me about two grape varieties, so Semyon and mm-hmm. Shiraz. And that even drove me crazy, but it gave me the material to know what I could do without it being a reaction. Mm. I had all this time to consider how the hunter could look better Mm. and what hadn't been done. Mm. And I also looked at wine lists that had so many French and Italian beautiful wines listed that it gave me a lot of opportunity to but frequently have a, a taste of the quality of the of the products. And most of the ones imported were the top ones. Mm-hmm. So quite a lot of French wines. Well, it's champagne. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 100 bucks mm-hmm. average now. Mm-hmm. And Australia did sparkling. Mm-hmm. And now we can't do that because of the naming and that's good. Yeah. People hadn't experienced a bad one or a good one. I mean, it takes a few times to have the bad experience or if you've had picked the right one and you've got a budget where you think the most expensive could be the best and it's like fear engagement or something mm-hmm. and you select that, you don't know till you have a bad experience when you've got the baby shower and, <laughs> <laughs> and you try to do the room up and you want something but you aren't in the same position to you think all sparkling or all, yep, they're, they're, they're sort of equal standard However, there's some le- less expensive products. Yeah. That was, I didn't think Australia would ever be able to be acknowledged for producing great sparkling that's comparable to French. Mm. But we, we have now got the problem of not being able to call it champagne, but it's yeah. better because champagne's a region. Mm. And the French are renowned for champagne and they really, they know how to do it. Mm. And they and they know that they don't have to do everything and uh, have a cross-section, they focus. Mm -hmm. And so in Australia we've got so much land and so, well, so many uh, opportunities for variations on whatever and we can do anything we like. We could. Anyway, all of that got wiped out and I I think that the French, the whole understanding of everybody generally in the market, I don't think I have any consumers who are confused about that these days it was confusing I mean I was confused yeah Yeah. anyway but I think that was fantastic and 
I've um, had a lot of dealings with, I've had an experience with selling a French wine here and these kind of actions would make the French think differently about someone in the wine industry because it's usually, oh, we're better than them or Mm. it's it's a challenge. And we all act that way when we've got our own product, Mm. whatever it might be, a podcast or a, you know, it's a tendency to want to be the best and if you don't say you are, well, you're never going to make that. Yeah. You've got to act that way before you can you can achieve that. So with wine, there was, there's so much competition. However, I think it's a lot more uh, relaxed in terms of competition these days. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of wine shows, so everybody has to attend the wine shows and you can't act like that when you're in front of those people. And when you do it behind someone's back, it's so easy to go off bitching yeah and when you get together in wine shows over years you start to make friends with those people because yeah. you're in their face and you don't it's easy to say things about someone you've never met mm. or you've read about them and you feel jealous about their uh sparkling wine or something mm. and i just think we're a, a much better industry and there was a uh, a big show called wine australia and that changed everything. Really? And my brand had only been around for a couple of years. So it was uh, about just, be, I think maybe I got to know about it just before 2000, okay. leading up to the Olympics. And it was in Melbourne. And my, I just started my brand in 97. Mm-hmm. And that's the first uh, six months that <laughs> I owned it. And uh, it was so incredible because I had only been a buyer at these kind of things and you don't really see the other side because everyone can present well. Mm-hmm. However, it's the back of house that's also important, like where we're sitting now. Yeah. If people can't come into my storeroom, then I mustn't have been really going to pay any attention at the Sydney Renaissance because that's how I learned to be, make everything like the front of house. Yeah. And that's not uh, that bad, except if you work with me. (laughs) (laughs) However, if you come to taste in my new cellar, which I've only just opened, I opened two weeks before the virus arrived. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it literally opened two weeks before the ship came in. And so it wasn't that full on at that time. However, I spent a lot of time here alone, which was okay because I would have spent that time in my apartment that I had for 10 years that what I would have gone mad in yeah. and vamp is presented the way I would probably if I had a, a need for a large lounge room <laughs> that this is how it would be and because I sold my apartment to build this I thought well if it doesn't work out I'll just, just have all my friends up here and sit around in the lounge room I've got a great bar exactly. and great facilities and you have to be, you have to have another way out or another something else that you think about because I'm really superstitious and I don't like to think about the bad possibilities. However, you have to have a bit of a joke with yourself about whether it's going to work because I wouldn't normally say it's not going to work, but I'd find another option and that's not jinxing myself. And so it could also be a down the track when I'm too old to serve everybody. It could be like a, a I get asked so many times for it to be used as a wedding oh, venue. I thought that you would have done something like that here. Well, I've just been in catering for so long that this would have been completely different if that was the market that I was after. Yeah. Because this is a little bit more 
um, a bit more sensitive because the wedding market would need really different tables, okay. different chairs, somewhere to dance. If they were dancing on my bar, no, I was just gonna say. yeah, I'd probably stab someone. <laughs> <laughs> With one of those things off the wall. Yes. <laughs> well, you've got a few swords around. You, weapons I've, only, I've got, yes, I do. But the, you haven't been on the bench yet. <laughs> I think <laughs> we should go there. I need a little lie down. Yeah. Uh, so the swords are all about my gothic past life and metal and shiny just has always appealed to me. My mother thought I was colourblind because I used to only want black or white. Really? But I just like the 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 way it looks and presents particular not maybe at home however if you're trying to create a brand background mm-hmm. well I'd had enough years doing the brand out on the street without having to have a big showcase place because I just sold it into restaurants and bottle shops and I just went out on the road every day and walk, I walked up Oxford Street to all of the retailers yeah. in my first week and my border collie would walk with me oh, and so I had to small uh, thing black and white Yes, well, that's where it all started. Oh. I thought I thought my border collie would look was so handsome, and that black and white guy was so well together. And you don't have to be you. You can make the choice on the uh, areas for the the two the difference by not looking like you're a waitress mm. and making the black and white work differently, so that you don't just look like a waitress because that's how I looked in the beginning. The white shirt, no, not okay. <laughs> white pants, well then you don't look like. <laughs> Oh, God, I can't do white pants at this age. I will admit, I've got a couple of white pants in the wardrobe. I'm glad I didn't wear them today for a variation. And you both look amazing, might I add. Well, we had a standard to live up to here because I'd only ever seen here on online and I thought, man, this is incredible. How does my wardrobe compare? So I was like, okay, let's pick out a few things here. This might be able to be an oldie but a goodie, so that's where this one's come from to be able to blend in. But we met quite some time ago yeah. um, just randomly and so that's why we're here today exactly because I've been able to take myself off the front door and I like being out here showing you everything and discussing it and when I started both brands I, I did the marketing and sales so I had to you know get on with things and say the right things and I've been talking to you for hours <laughs> so because I can talk about the the the, um, the passion of it because that's the way, the only way I can really think and and put into a or consider as a, as 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 what I'm about to say, which is it comes from my heart, mm. and I only know that because on reflection, and that is since I've opened this, because one of the things that I said to uh, one of my friends that came to visit after I'd been here by myself for almost a year, no, <laughs> friends came to visit, but what I said to her was one day when I think we'd been. Uh, she'd probably been polishing walls or something because she came up before I opened and she said, what are you trying to achieve here? And I was like, you can go home. (laughs) No, I thought about it and I I could answer that very basically. It's not really a very uh, impressive response. Mm -hmm. However, it's 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 a feeling. And what I was trying to get the feeling about was that even – the, me who put it together with an expectation so I had to have the the word that I'm about to say come out of my mouth without thinking it and if it would if it did get it really deeply across certain people 
who understand and they're the same tribe who would not want to go to somewhere that didn't have some kind of element that was different. I mean, they might be a famous artist or mm. they might not have ever been hanging around wine cellars. They may not have been underground into a cellar as well. Or if they had, that mightn't have been a very good experience because it might have been their dad's old cellar. Yeah. It might have been smelly with rats and things like that, which that happens in France. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's extreme. What I was trying to, in one word, achieve from maybe one person a day was this word and I said this to my friend Georgie and I said when when the person walks in I just hope that they look around and that their reaction is wow yeah because wow isn't something you can put into a script it's not really a word that you would have when in your uh when you're doing a tour for a group of people and this is wow and (laughs) so if that person were to say it from that it affected them in a deep way and they liked it because you can tell it's, that people can say oh wow <laughs> or they can be <laughs> oh wow the o doesn't come in front <laughs> and that has been achieved quite frequently yes. and the best time was when a, a young teenager came in with his mum and he obviously wasn't drinking and his mum was sent in by a friend to check out a wine for the wedding or something like that of her best friend and someone had said come in here and try the Moscato blah 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 anyway and so she came in she was on a mission and then and I was talking to him I went past and I, I thought I'd better check out why there's a teenager here and what's going on yeah and why she looked like she was just she didn't go mission. she didn't go through the, the whole process of tasting she just tried to once and so I thought oh she looks like someone who I might have been able to, in a bottle shop, convince her to take. Okay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they don't just want something for dinner. Anyway, so he, so he said to me, is this your place? Ask me all the, the questions, right, because I was just very friendly and not drunk. And and he, <laughs> and he said, it's really gothic. Like he described it in the way that not everyone thinks it's gothic, right? They think there's some helmets and there's a, some knives in my back and things like that. Then this young boy said, wow because I took him in to show him a bit more because they'd only been at the bar and, and he was just going, wow, wow. And he hadn't really said much prior to that because there was his mother was just here to taste. He thought that's all you do and saying wow, he was, wasn't even asked to say anything. But when he started looking around and he came out of his shell and I took him outside, he just kept saying wow. And for someone of that age to be able to appeal with the passion he had. And even appreciate as well what your mission was. Yeah, to get because he would have been inclined to think hopefully my mum will find a wine soon and we can get out of here yeah yeah but when he looked around and had a bit more of a connection with it so and there have been other wows anyway not everyone will say wow but when that happens I feel like I've achieved what I said very basically to that friend who I was talking to from the other side of the room and I wanted her to keep sweeping and so (laughs) but it was a feeling and that's that's how I, I guess now when I'm looking at, well, the, the food that I'm about to introduce, I haven't done the oyster dishes yet because I'm not wow with how that is going to be delivered. And the best way that you can, as a uh, company like mine, lose money is to start doing food because the food, if you ask any restaurateur, it's not the That's food, not the, the food doesn't deliver the, the, 
uh, wow. investment. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's the wine that gives them the profit usually, yeah. Yeah. and the food is the cost of food are so expensive, and to do it really well, it's it's hard to find a balance. I guess. It's, yes, and so I know from my experience in Five Star that the chefs would have to do volume. To get, to get the, sorry, I'm just, no, you're right. Keep, I'm just trying to keep that. That's right. Customer <laughs> I can't say no. Anyway, and so that's something I know. And it's not really about making millions here. It's doing something that I love to go and do every day. And I haven't had a day, except maybe when I was hungover a few times, where I haven't wanted to go to work. And I love people and I love making wine and I love having this cellar door. And at the point in my life that I'm at, I don't want to have to be uh, running a wine company as the general manager and creating all of the uh, running the company. Yeah. I want to be at this level and I'm learning what people like so easily from just not even intending to, to, or asking questions to find that out. I just hear what people say. Mm-hmm. And so the result of that since I opened VAMP is I've produced a Prosecco, which I poured for you earlier. Yes, that we was just had that. beautiful. So that's, that's, a, beautiful. that's a new label, a new level, wow. and it's a top level because people really want that kind of difference. And I, I didn't ever want to do a Prosecco because I just – see so many Italian ones mm. that are put in the market as a price-driven because Italians sell a lot of wine into Australia. They keep the best for themselves and they used to be able to get the volume of the fruit and they planted the correct fruit for the Prosecco style. Mm. However, since the French did what they did in Australia, we're almost at the point where you can't just make Prosecco out of white wine grapes. Yeah. There has to be it has to be a particular varietal, so it's much more expensive for me to produce. Okay. So I took a big risk because if you if you go into a bottle shop and see my prosecco, it will be probably one of the most expensive because mm-hmm. the others are quite cheap. Yeah, and I only sell it here at Vamp or or, or through orders mm-hmm. and through my wine club that I'm launching, and the, the prosecco has has exceeded expectations really? and it's really been the best product with the highest growth in a short time that I've ever launched except for um, Athena Rosé. So that's pretty amazing. So that concludes part one of our interview with Lisa McGrigan. Stay tuned for part two that even has a wine tasting in there. Cheers. Cheers.